What has been challenging is really feeling the struggles that everyone is going through. And we've been iterating. We've added more mental health services. We've tried online yoga. We've tried online study courses. We've tried online book clubs. We've sent each other mail. We've just tried so much. And I think the thing is, when you have 1,300 people, there's not a one-size-fits-all. And so what works for one person isn't going to be appreciated by others, but we're still trying. Welcome to the Best Self-Management Podcast. I'm David Hassel. And I'm Shane Metcalf. Me and David have been working together along with our co-founder, Nazar, and all the amazing other people that are a part of 15.5 for the last seven years. And we are not the same people that we were seven years ago. One of the things we're a big stand for is like, how do we actually embrace the whole person and understand that can we support someone in thriving in their whole life? And if we do, then they're probably going to contribute more at work. Your mission is to attract the best talent, retain your high performers, and maximize everyone's potential. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Best Self Management Podcast. We're thrilled today to have Lori McLeese. Lori is Automatic's global head of human resources. She and her team focus on making Automatic the best place automaticians have ever worked. I love that. That's one of my also goals. When people come into 15.5, I say, look, our commitment to you is this is the best professional experience you've ever had. One aspect of this is building community in a distributed environment. She joined Automatic in 2010 when there were about 50 automaticians worldwide and is grateful to have learned so much in the 10 years and 1,200 hires since. She lives in the mountains of Asheville, North Carolina, just a couple of miles away from our producer of the podcast, David Misney. Lori, I'm personally really excited to have you on because over the years, we've had many conversations and you've always been one of the luminaries we've looked to for how do you design a world-class remote culture. So we're really thrilled to have you on. And I just know you're going to have gems of wisdom for our listeners as the rest of the world is racing to try to figure out how do we do remote work as well as the best companies out there that have already been doing this? Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. It is such a pleasure to be here. Um, I wish we could be in person, but this is the next best thing. And always love having conversations with you. Lori, it was a pleasure to hear that you have been listening to the podcast and it's your uh, cooking dinner podcast <laughs> when you're chopping vegetables. You're, you got me and David in your ear. And that's, uh, it's always an honor to hear that, you know, podcasting is so weird, right? Because you don't, you have no idea if anybody is listening to it or if a lot of people are listening to it. And so it's always really cool to hear people are actually listening to this. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love just being able to listen and be challenged with new ideas about how people are addressing problems and just actually be the recipient, just hang back, listen, let it marinate, and then share ideas with my team. So it's great. Thank you. So Lori, I'd love to hear, what do you think about the rest of the world trying to catch up to remote work? I mean, you've been doing this for a decade. You, you've started out building the culture as a remote first. So yeah, what do you think? I mean, you think it's a, it's a good thing that the rest of the world's trying to learn how to do remote? Like, what do you think? What, do you, oh. what are you seeing people do well? What do you think people aren't doing well in that transition? So first, I just want to say my heart goes out to every single employee and company that had to make this change so quickly and it wasn't a change that they had purposely made because this is hard. 
this is not normal working remotely. This is a pandemic. Things are hard. Things are stressful. And so first of all, I just want to say like, I just feel for people. And that's one of the reasons why I have been so open to taking kind of cold calls and requests from people saying, how do we do this? Because I just want to help because there are some things you can do to make it better, even if it wasn't the path that you chose. So, Well, and I think that's such an interesting distinction, right? Of when we choose something versus when we're forced into something and that when we're forced into something, it presents a, a world of different challenges to actually come into acceptance of the situation. Yeah, and I think also that at least here in the U.S. where I am, when lockdown started happening in March, people really thought that this was a short-term incident that we would get through and in the fall, things would reopen and you know we just kind of had to get through the summer together. And that's obviously not happening. And I, now that we're half a year in and it seems like, oh, this this actually might be the reality for a while. People, I think, are having a shifting mindset of like, okay, what do we need to do not just to get through this, but to thrive during this period? And those are different approaches. So, Yeah. And when this first happened and, you know, I was looking back at history of past pandemics and the 1918 pandemic, you know, my prediction was that this was going to be at least an 18 month thing. And I was kind of mm. sending up the warning flag and saying, look, CEOs, you've got to you know, I wrote something on Medium saying, you know, just in case, let's let's prepare for an extended period of remote work. And I think to Shane's point, your point, Shane, when people are forced into something, you have to come to acceptance. It's not something you ever wanted to do. Now, on the flip side, what I'm hearing and what I've heard from a lot of different CEOs is how, first of all, surprised they were about how easy it was to actually get the work done, um, to actually make the transition that it was possible. Because this, I think it, this blew and broke a bunch of beliefs that remote work doesn't work, you can't do it. But I don't think they realize all the other human, emotional connection, social impact. And that's the piece where, you know, you guys willingly went into this as leaders over a decade ago in a small handful of companies who really embraced remote and did that out of choice and see the benefits. And also, I'm sure you're intimately familiar with some of the downsides. And I think now, now people are realizing it's possible, but I think what would be great to to hear from you is is some of like the real true like for the people who now know it's possible but want to experience great success or what you know the potential of it like what are some of the things that automatic of why you guys chose to be remote and some of the great benefits that you experience Yeah so one of our main products is wordpress.com which is a hosted version of WordPress which is the open source project. Matt Mullenweg was one of the co-founders of the open source project. And when he contributed to it, he was working with people all over the world. You know, it wasn't just people in Texas or it wasn't just people in California, all over the world. And so when he made the decision to create a company around hosting WordPress, he thought, well, why this has been working? Like, why do we need to bring everyone to the same location. You know, I've been working with people in the UK. I've been working with people in Ireland. I've been working with people in Texas and California. And so that was how it started, was just that why change something if it's working? And so that's how it started. And it's interesting because I don't think people actually took that seriously. And they were like, oh, well, this will work for a small company. But, you know, once you hit 
50 people. Yeah, you don't have to get an office. It's like time to put on the big boy pants <laughs> yeah. and let's get an office. <laughs> you know, you're not going to get funding. Investors won't take you seriously. Exactly, exactly. And we, you know, we're now almost 1,300 people and, you know, it's still working. So I think other companies, regardless of size, can also do this successfully and have a great culture for their employees. So Lori, so one of the things I'm really interested in hearing your perspective on is I think that when we give people the choice to live the life that they actually want to live, that we don't force people to live places that they don't really want to live, that that actually is part of why people love the culture of, I mean, both 15.5 and automatic is because we're saying, hey, we want to support you in living the life that you're intrinsically motivated to live. So I'm curious of how you've seen that play out of people having that freedom to move wherever they want to move and maybe take a more experimental approach and have a variety of experience of, because it's a big planet. There's so many amazing towns, cities, countries to live in. And so what have you seen as you've granted that freedom and choice to people? Yeah, so it opens up choices for people, whether that's the choice to not have a permanent home and be a a nomad and maybe live in one place for a few weeks or a few months or a few years and then move somewhere else. Um, Although surprisingly, we we don't have a lot of people that participate in that option, just a a handful out of 1,300. I think anyone with, after a couple of weeks on the road of trying to get Wi-Fi and reliable (laughs) internet, you're like, oh God, please just give me a stable connection. Exactly. And we've had people that chose to move to places that were more in line with their lifestyle. So moving from cities to either rural areas or farms. Um, We have a couple of very successful farmers at Automatic, and I love following along with it. We have people that have been able to move closer to families whether that's to have help taking care of their children with other extended family members, or like in my case, you know, I moved back to North Carolina to take care of my parents. And you know, that's not something I would have been able to do if I was working in a job that was tied to an, a location. Yeah, you know, I mean, we just made the move from the Bay Area to Western Colorado. Mm-hmm. And to be closer to family, you know, we just had a kid and it's like, oh, hey, wow, what would it be like to actually have my kid grow up with a real relationship with her grandma and with her yeah. uncles and cousins? And yeah. it's it's funny because even though we were really, we were a remote first company, I still felt mm-hmm. a lot of obligation to be the anchor in the Bay Area office. Oh. And it was actually the pandemic that kind of created the off ramp of like, hey, this would be the time to do it. And it doesn't have to be a permanent move, but it does allow me to make a choice that is, I think, infinitely better for my kid. And all of a sudden, work doesn't become this thing that's like compromising my ability to create the best possible experience for my child. And it's really cool. That's like, wow, that's amazing, right? If we can, I think part of my vision is that work stops becoming the place where we have to do a deep internal compromise And we can begin to live with more integrity and wholeness so that we're actually being more authentic to what we really want out of this short and precious life. Absolutely. And, you know, another thing that we we track at Automatic, because we like to track a lot of things, in an employee's profile in the employee directory, 
we ask, how many miles did you used to commute at your previous job? Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, some people were commuting hours and miles, like 90, 100 miles. And I'm like, that's so much precious time. Like, oh my gosh. Um, Yeah. Although I will say I I miss my BART ride in the morning. Do you? I do. I really do. I know. It's like, I don't know that many people that loved their BART commute, but I loved it because it was, for me, it was this amazing opportunity to do my morning practices because I wrote and I was at the end of the line. So I always got Uh a seat. And I'd just mm-hmm. put on my headphones and I'd get on my hotspot and I would just write. And it yeah. was this like creative me time that was guilt-free of like, it wasn't, I, I didn't have to do work. I, and I was just my own self-development time. And, and I do miss that. And I didn't realize I was like, because, you know, I went on paternity leave before it happened. And I kind of grieve. I was like, wow, I didn't realize that that last BART ride was probably oh. one of the last times that I will likely ride BART. Yeah, I used to live near Shane, but I was not at the end of the line. So I did not get a seat and I did not like my bar. <laughs> <laughs> so I was doing cross commute because for a while I was commuting from San Francisco to the East Bay in the morning. So got a seat. I was not as productive though. Like I usually napped. So <laughs> When I was 23, I was commuting from New Jersey into uh, downtown Manhattan, 23 years old for a business that I started there. And it was 16 miles if you drove from where I lived to the Lincoln Tunnel. And it would take me an hour and 25 minutes each way to work. So three hours of my life was commuting. And I, and I mean, some people can be productive during that time, but, but I think uh, that's a lot of life. Makes you wonder if part of the disengagement problem is just a commute problem. A commute mm. problem, right? I mean, for some people, to, to your point, Shane, some people actually like that or make that productive or like that time. And, you know, I think it really does come down to employee choice and having the optionality to work where we want, with who we want, how we want. And for me, I don't, yeah, I think the the commuting feels like something that isn't a great fit for my life and lifestyle and ability to take care of myself and my family. But some people enjoy that. How do you guys handle or address people who do want to co-work or do want to be in an office? Because I think we've talked about that in the past and curious, you know, obviously COVID aside, how are you thinking about that? Yeah, so pre-pandemic, we offered everyone at the company a U.S. $250 stipend every month for a co-working space. And we told people, we were like, the intent of this is that we realize that working from home can be isolating. We realize that some people get energy from being around other people. So this is to support you and getting out and and getting what you need. And we were very upfront that like we realize in some markets, like this won't cover the whole cost of a a co-working space, but we hope it will contribute enough that it allows you to get that interaction that you need. And we also told people if working in a co-working space isn't for you, use it to go to a coffee shop and buy coffee and pastries and use their Wi-Fi. So yeah. That's great. And didn't you have like groups of people like coming together periodically? It was it a Friday thing? I think I remember something along those lines. Well, we had we had groups of people in the same location that would actually they would pool their stipends, and so like in Seattle, they rented a boat dock. 
and they worked from there, which was amazing. I'm, that's one of my regrets that I never got to go and work there because um, it just, it looked so cool. And in another city, they, um, they actually rented out a bar during the day because it didn't open until six o'clock at night, but it had great Wi-Fi. So they had the whole place to themselves. Well, and that's such a cool example of when you that's give really people cool. creative freedom, when you grant them trust yeah. and you say, hey, you know, we trust you to figure things out on your own and you're adults. And so here's the guidelines and have fun within that, that people get so creative. Yeah. Because it's like, I would never think of like, oh yeah, let's have a boat dock office. But that's what's the creativity when you trust your people and when you empower them to make their own decisions. I think arguably one of the most important aspects of any chief people officer's role or the head of HR is to make sure your managers are effective right? Because managers are the leverage point. We all know the adage, people join companies and leave managers. And so if we want to build a great culture, we need to build great managers. So I'm curious, how do you approach ensuring that your managers are continually learning, are the right managers, are taking care of their teams in the best possible way while you're remote, when you don't get FaceTime with managers, when you can't just kind of pop in and have that feeling tone connection of the in-person kind of bioenergetic read of somebody else? There's a few things that we do. Um, I think the first thing is that we don't view, we call them team leads, managers, as a promotion. We view it as a developmental opportunity. We ask people who is interested in learning how to develop people we have a list of you know people that are interested and when openings come up, we help them prepare for the role. So, so I, I just want to pause you there because I think that right there, there's a couple of really interesting things you just said. One, you're changing the nomenclature from manager to team lead. And so mm-hmm. you're already changing a little bit of the expectation and kind of snapping right. people out of the hypnosis. And then the second is that it's a developmental opportunity for that person, which is fascinating, right? Because it's like, Usually people are like, well, the only way for me to get more social status and more money is to become a manager, Mm. which is such (laughs) the wrong motivation to actually lead people. We didn't want to incentivize that. And so people can step in or out of the team lead role with no change in pay, no like repercussions. There's not a stigma around like, oh, I tried this for a year, didn't like it. I'm going back to either lead a technical team or lead a project or just be an individual contributor. Three and a half years ago, we worked with a consulting company called Reboot to develop a team lead training specific to Automatic. And it was... Jerry Colonna's organization? Great. Yes. Yeah. They're wonderful. (laughs) Amazing. Um, And have just been such a great partner with us. And so we developed a three-day intensive training and we held the pilot and we said, okay, we're going to do the pilot in person so we can get real-time feedback and change things. But the actual rollout of the program will be online because we're distributed. And at the end of the pilot, people said the best part about this was being in person. So we were like, all right, let's, let's look at our plan. And so what we did was almost every month, we offered a cohort. Cohorts were limited to 12 people. So it was really small. 
we brought people together in person for three full days, you know, had great training with the same reboot facilitators. And so they got to know automatic, they got to know our culture, they got to know, you know, kind of some of our quirkiness. And then we were almost through like training all 170 of our team leads when the pandemic struck. And so we did pivot to online. It's different. Uh, I think we are losing, you know, there are even though we're distributed, there is some magic that happens when you see people in person. Well, I would argue that there's actually more, when you're distributed, the magic is even more potent for that in person because you aren't taking it for granted. It's like, oh my God, I've had so many video calls with you and now you're actually a real human being. Yeah, yeah. And we don't limit it just to team leads. So if someone is interested and becoming a team lead, or if they're leading a community project, or they're leading a guild in our support, we open it up to them so that they can take it even before they're in the role. And that's to help develop people so that they're not deer in the headlights once they're finally in the role. And and do you keep it that small size of about 12 people? 12 or less, yeah. I love that it's both a developmental opportunity for a team lead, Mm-hmm. And that part of their role is to develop people and having that frame of, you know, it's not like the team lead knows it all and is kind of lording over people and developing them. It's like we're all we're all developing together. Right. Um, and I think that's the right tone. Right. And then in addition to that, about a year ago, we actually hired a chief learning and development officer, which was fantastic. And he's growing his team and has just, like, it's just been amazing to see when that's the only thing you're focusing on, how much can be achieved. And, you know, he started these coaching groups, still partnering with Reboot, of team leads within the organization, but that's limited to six people. And so these are ongoing coaching groups that we have every couple of weeks. We've learned how to be coaches to each other. So we focus on asking open and honest questions and inquiring and encouraging innovation and imagination and possibilities. And it's just, I have to say that like, I just love the five other people in my group. Like it has been the most amazing support. And I just, I feel like we, you know, we really have each other's backs. Not that I didn't feel that before, but when you get to be a large organization, it's nice to have a, a small cohort that you you just really, you know, they're your people. Now, those six-person groups self-facilitated or, or is that also through Reboot or do you have internal? How do you work that? We do have external Reboot facilitators with each six-person group. And right now, I think we have, we're running three groups concurrently and then, you know, we'll run these for a while and then new people can apply to be part of it. I want to talk directly to you listening in for just a moment. If you're enjoying these interviews, the concepts we discuss, and you're committed to equipping your managers to develop highly engaged and high-performing teams, there's some additional resources that we know can help. Access the forever free Best Self Management Certification at 155.com forward slash academy for core management skills that unfortunately are not taught in business school. 
Visit 15.5.com forward slash services to sign up for our manager accelerator program to reorient your managers around the essential skills needed to conduct effective one-on-ones, offer meaningful feedback, and coach their teams to greatness. If you want exceptional software that integrates beautifully with our education and training, visit 15.5.com today. Okay, changing gears a little bit. In 2020, what's the thing that you've loved the most about your role? And what's the thing that's been kind of the most challenging about your role? Okay, what's the thing I love the most? Well, this is kind of selfish, but... I finally have built out my team and we're fully hired. We have 20 people on the people team now and every single hire is just amazing. And like every day I'm just like, I am so happy I get to work with you because they are teaching me things. They're bringing new ideas to the organization they're just, they're so compassionate and just so caring. So that has just filled my soul. I'm like, this is amazing. I think the second question was, what was the hardest? What has been challenging is really feeling the struggles that everyone is going through. And whether that's my partner lost their job or my partner is now working at home with me in our studio apartment in Brooklyn, like whatever it is, you know, or now I'm supposed to homeschool children or now I'm supposed to like, I just feel for people and I'm like, this is hard and we we don't have a playbook for it. And so again, we've been iterating. We've added more mental health services. We've tried online yoga. We've tried online study courses. We've tried online book clubs. We've, you know, sent each other mail. We've like, we've just tried so much. And I think The thing is, when you have 1,300 people, there's not a one-size-fits-all. And so what works for one person isn't going to be appreciated by others, but we're still trying. So, Yeah, it's really been quite the large menu of challenges of just human suffering and challenge that has been on offer this year. Yeah. It's interesting. We've seen this trend with other CHROs and people leaders we've interviewed of, of them all saying that the cool thing about this is that companies are starting to realize it's their prerogative to start caring for the mental and emotional well-being of their people in a way Mm -hmm. that has not happened in the business world prior to this year. Yeah. It's interesting because we are currently renegotiating our benefits package for U.S. employees for next year. And one of the things that we said, we were like, okay, mental health services, you've got to negotiate higher benefits. Like what we have is is not enough. And you have to negotiate, like we're just, we're not going to sign a contract unless you provide us more benefits to support our employees. So. How'd the negotiation go? Did it work? Or are you in real time? Well, real time. And we have gotten 95% of the things that we asked for. Awesome. Yeah. We're still working on one last thing, but then I think we'll be there. Do you have any global rituals that you do as a company? You know, things that every Mm. person participates in on either daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual basis? 
So we used to have an annual grand meetup where everyone would come together for a week and we would meet in person and we would have keynotes and people would teach classes and we would do projects and have meals together. And Isn't that the best? Can't you like, <sighs> it's like, I just can't yeah. wait till we get to have that first big reunion and our yeah. first annual company-wide retreat and just like, oh, that's going to be so good. I think that was one of kind of the hardest posts that I had to make was when we decided back in April that we would not be having our all company retreat in September. And, you know, again, in April, everything was uncertain and some people thought we were being alarmist and some people were like, oh no, everything will be back to normal by September. And we were like, we just, yeah, we just not likely. I'm not sure it will be. Um, but I just was like, Oh, like we just have to grieve together because this is something that we all are going to miss so much is, you know, seeing those people in, in person and particularly, you know, not just meeting new people, but, you know, there are people in the company that, you know, I've seen them for 10 years in a row every September and that's something I really look forward to. And so we, we grieved that. Um, other rituals that we do, we have monthly town halls where Matt Mullenweg, who's our founder, takes questions from anyone in the company. We also do short demos of things that teams are working on, either new product releases or you know, mergers or acquisitions that are coming up and just sharing information that way. We used to have Burrito Friday. Oh, Burrito Friday. So sad. I know. <laughs> I know. Have people uh, been like, hey, I'm going to keep Burrito Friday alive. Would you join me and go out and get burritos? Well, we're not going out and getting burritos, but we're making them. We are stretching the definition of burrito <laughs> and sharing pictures online. That's going to be one of your legacies. Oh, I, re great. I helped reinvent the burrito. Um, what else do you, what are else our rituals? Um, you know, like, are there like uh, Slack channels that are really hot right now? I'm assuming you use Slack. We do use Slack. Yeah, a lot. I mean, our Slack channels are, you know, team channels and work channels, but then we also have water cooler channels about like music. That was something that was hard too, because we, at our grand meetup, um, we had an automatician band where everyone, and it wasn't just a band, like six people. I think last year we had about 120 people participate, but the set list was so that the band was like the six people on stage. And then, you know, the next song was maybe some of those people, but different people. And so it was just this lovely. And then for the final song, everyone got on stage and sang or played an instrument or danced. And that was just, yeah, that channel has been active. Auto musicians. Yeah. I actually want to talk about that because, you know, your grand meetup and I do think things are going to be different after the pandemic's over in terms of how yeah. people approach work and flexible work. And there was, there's a group that I'm in that I think they surveyed that only, only 10% of the CEOs are keeping their offices as is. Uh, anyway, at least this year, we're letting them go. And the rest were saying, look, we're probably going to downsize in a really big way and have more, you know, a flexible workspace. People can come in, maybe they only come in a couple of days a week or or whatnot. Yeah. And I think that's going to lead to more teams that are distributed. And 
we're big believers that FaceTime is really important. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily important every moment and every day, but having cadences where you bring the whole company together, bring specific teams together. I'm really grateful that we got our all company retreat in in January before all this happened. And we had a, an incredible time. We had a talent show this year, uh, which was the first time we did something like that. And uh, David did a great Radiohead cover. Nice. I did some Radiohead. That was really fun. But it was one of these things where even we're like, I don't know, should we do this? But creating that level of, you know, kind of personal connection and self-expression, it really added such a beautiful element to the time we get to spend together that I feel like fueled us and, and does typically fuel us throughout the year. So I'm curious, I think we're putting ourselves now in the future when the pandemic's over, giving advice to uh, companies about how to blend if you're, you know, mostly remote or fully distributed that FaceTime. How do you guys think about that? Besides the annual gathering or anything else you want to say on that too, yeah. Yeah, so there was the the annual gathering, which has gotten larger and larger each year. We also encourage teams to get together a couple of times a year. And our teams tend to be smaller, usually, you know, 10 to 15 people. We give them a budget. They figure out everything on their own. And then afterwards, they write a report. And so we have an internal P2, the WordPress theme that we use. So it's an internal website that has reviews of every team meetup that has happened for the past 10 years. I should check and see how many entries there are. And then we pull all that data into a spreadsheet to show like which locations were the most popular, how many days people stayed, like good things about it, bad things about it, average cost for flights, depending on you know where people were coming from, average cost of hotels, which obviously that fluctuates over time, but it can give, it's some good information to have as you're starting to, to plan something. I love actually tracking the reviews and actually using yeah. that as, hey, let's learn, let's pool the resources of our shared learnings so we can continue yeah. to optimize and make them even cooler and cooler. Yeah. And we give people a template. We're like, hey, these are the things that we would like for you to answer the information we'd like, and then anything else. And so usually the post of the recaps of the meetups are that information, but then just a ton of pictures as well, which is just great. And then we also, in addition to the meetups, we encourage folks to attend conferences together. So, you know, we'll often have, say, our developer hiring team, I think it's called Lead Dev, Dev Lead. Lovely dev. Um, it's a conference and it was so good. Someone went one year, it was so good. They posted the notes. People were like, oh, that's so interesting. I want to go next year. And so then the next year, like maybe 10 people went and then actually like 20 people went together. And so that's another thing that we encourage is share your learning experiences. And we, we do ask that whenever you do something, you know, post a recap of it so that everyone can learn from it. And again, all of these P2s that we have internally are open to the whole company. I think we've got about a thousand P2s now. It's like, it's a lot. And we encourage people, don't follow all of them. Like, you know, it's there, you can search for information, but there's only about 12 that you need to like really keep an eye on. One of the things you had mentioned before we started recording was that you think there's a missed opportunity for increased transparency as we've yeah. gone remote. 
Could you just speak a little bit to what you think about, you know, how can companies effectively create more transparency and what the benefits are of that? Yeah, so I think one of the ways is to move away from email as much as you can because email is a very closed communication. Only you and the people you choose can absorb that information. We use WordPress and we have websites. Anyone can visit those websites. Anyone can post on those websites. Anyone can edit information or look at, you know, what's on there. When I have new people join my team, we have the whole team meet with them one-on-one just to, you know, build those personal relationships. And I also share like, these are some really important P2 posts that will give you kind of an overview of the flavor of our team, like the cultures, how we make decisions, what are some of the historical policies that we've put in place and why. And that's all there. And so it's it's a much more proactive way to consume information. I also think that particularly when you are distributed, it's easier for people to make up stories about things. So if leadership has not communicated it's probably not malicious. It's probably they didn't think they needed to communicate or they forgot, but people will start making up stories. And so if you can actually put the information out there and share like, hey, these are some things that we're considering. These are the ways that we'll make the decision. You know, I'm having a meeting next week. This is what happened. This is the decision we came to. Like it's it's all there. And so if someone, it's been really great because It's not just leadership that points out that information to others. It's also team members. When someone speculates something that isn't true, a teammate can say, oh, no, 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 there was a post on that P2. Here, let me get it for you. And so it's just much more, we're not trying to hide anything. Like this is, I don't know, it's just... Well, and I think we often think, oh, well, we only need to go out and communicate the end result of the conversation. And really, it feels like leadership in this day and age is actually about including people in the process, letting people know that this was the arguments we had at the leadership level. And this is where we ended up. And this is why we actually are choosing this path. Because if we come out and say, hey, this is where we're going, people are like, I can't believe you didn't actually even... (laughs) Consider my opinion. And it's like, no, there's so much more that went into this. And so it's kind of like, hey, let's actually bring people in a little bit more on the sausage making, not just serve up the sausages. And I'm I'm laughing because we had an initiative where um, we were looking to perhaps engage with one of the companies that actually employees, contractors as employees and the countries where we don't have employment entities. And I was like, oh, this is going to solve so many problems. And I I made the post about my first initial meeting and I got I got a lot of opinions. And I was like, wow, I'm really glad that I posted this because I could have made a huge mistake. Yep. So. Yep. Right. So how do you think about uh, you know the level of transparency? Like at what point is it too transparent? Like you have companies that that made it the core to their culture, like Buffer was a great example that you know yeah. they said, look, we're just going to have a formula and that we're going to publish all our salaries. And uh, you know I think that comp is an area where a lot of companies kind of shy away from being transparent. How do you guys think about that? 
That's a great question. And we, our comp is very centralized. So only the HR team and our payroll team and Matt know compensation and make the compensation. So even our team leads don't know the compensation of folks on their team. And I would say this is one of the areas where we do get pushback from our employees. They're like, you're transparent about everything <laughs> except for compensation. And I'm like, yeah, you're, you're right. We're not. And um, there's, there's a few reasons for it. And people agree and disagree, which is fine. Um, but we, we currently have folks in 77 countries. We pay in, I think, 41 currencies. Wow. So, yeah, a lot of currencies. <laughs> yeah. We also tend to bias more towards internal equity rather than local market, uh, labor market data. And so it's just, it's super complex and complicated. And we haven't heard any arguments about why we should be publishing everyone's salary. And we've actually heard a lot of people say, like, it feels super uncomfortable if you did that. Like, we're, we're not down with that. But we are. One of the things my team is working on is how can we be more transparent about the process? So that's a big challenge for us. And we are, we are doing our best to document and get information out there. And um, it is one of our big areas for improvement. Okay, we're running up on our time. And so- No! Uh, I know, it feels okay. like we're just getting started. Uh, as you know, 15.5, we ask questions. You know, that's what our platform is really all about, is using questions to create more performance dialogues between employees and managers and giving leaders a pulse on what's really going on. And so what we ask, and, and you may have heard this on some of the episodes, maybe not. I, I don't know if you've been entirely consistent, but I always am looking for great questions to ask our company all of the 15 fivers. What question do you think we should ask our whole company? And, you know, maybe a question could come from like, what would you want to ask all of the automaticians this week? It's kind of the obvious one, which is, you know, we, we ask a lot, what are we doing well? What do we need to improve on? So that's kind of the general. But I think given that... These are stressful times. The one question I would ask is, share something where you really shown this week. Mm. Let's acknowledge the, the brilliance that we have here. It's really good. It's so important to reflect on, on the positive given all the stress and the... We tend to go to the negative first. So yeah. building that muscle, I think, is really, really critical. Yeah. Lori, do you have any final words for our listeners? just love this so much. I'm so glad I got to do this. <laughs> Thank you. It's always a pleasure, Lori. I uh, <sighs> love our conversations. It's great to, great to connect. And I'm so glad that we got to share your wisdom and thinking with our listeners. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I look forward to hearing more episodes from y'all. Thanks, Lori. Really good to have you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thank you to our producer, Counterweight Creative. To our executive producer, David Misney, and guest coordinators, Sydney Lee and Suzanne Haight. One of the easiest things you can do to help us spread the message of being and becoming your best self at work is to write a review on Apple Podcasts, or just share this episode's link on your favorite social media channel. If you have any questions or comments, please email me and Shane at podcast at 15.5.com. We'd love to hear from you. And finally, thank you. Thank you.